0: Mission, purpose, identity. Three words that are clearly understood by most of us who have served in our military. And then we get out and some lose sight of it. It becomes a journey to finding our place after service. Our guest today, a former Special Forces Lieutenant Colonel, now best selling author who is married with two daughters, will shed light on how he found his mission, purpose, and identity after service to our country we'll talk about his latest book, Hunter Killer, on this episode of The Military Wire. So welcome to The Military Wire with Mike Schindler. This is the podcast where we interview America's most elite men and women who have served this country. We share their stories of overcoming, their proven lessons in leadership, and their journey to finding mission and purpose. So our guest today is best-selling author Brad Taylor, who served more than 21 years in the U.S. Army Infantry, retiring as a Special Forces Lieutenant Colonel numerous infantry and special forces positions, including eight years in the 1st Special Forces Operational Detachment Delta, where he commanded multiple troops and a squadron. He conducted operations in numerous locations, including Iraq, Afghanistan, and other classified locations. He also served as an assistant professor of military science at the Citadel in Charleston, South, South Carolina. His books have sold over two million copies. Brad, welcome to the Military Wire.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, I love this. So, first of all, I just got to say this, and uh, you know, the Army Navy game is coming up, and uh, I know you're rooting for. I knew you're rooting for the goats, right? Oh no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, now that we got that out of the way, so Brad, I want to dive into this because this is so important. Uh, When we talk about mission, purpose, identity, you know, we talk a lot about identity on this show. uh, And the military is brilliant at training us to see through a lens of mission and purpose, having a clear understanding of really who we are in uniform and what our contribution is to this greater sense of not only mission, but country. Um, How did you deal with the transition from going from special forces and a lieutenant colonel for that matter to the civilian sector. How'd you make that transition?
1: Well, it actually was uh, kind of coincidental, to be honest with you. It wasn't uh, something that I planned out. That here's how my, my life is going to go. I had left a special mission unit at Fort Bragg and was uh, uh, just went to teach at the Citadel as a break. And I got down there, and it was uh, like getting off a bullet train and low crawling. I mean, it was. I just had a lot of a lot of time on my hands. I mean, teaching was very rewarding, but it's kind of rinse and repeat. Once I built the classes, it's teach the same thing three times a day. You know, next week's a different block. You know, by year two, it's like I've done all this. And so I was looking for something else to do. And it had been a, a kind of a, a bucket list thing of mine. I was always planning on writing a book. I just wanted to write one just was it was a goal of mine. I didn't think it would sell. I was just, you know, I thought it'd sit on my nightstand and my mom would say, that's a great book. <laughs> but that would be about it. And um, so I wrote the book, uh, went through you know, a ton of edits and tried to make it as good as I could, and um, then it sold. And uh, at that same time, I actually came out of a promotion list for Colonel, and I had a lot of decisions to make. Because I couldn't, I couldn't publish the book if I was going back, uh, back to the special mission unit. And uh, I, uh, my daughter was entering high school. My wife was a daughter of a wing commander, and she'd been through four high schools in four years, uh, and I didn't, and you know, my, they were talking about company two-year tour to Pakistan, all kinds of stuff. And so I decided to, um, turn down the promotion, retire and see if I could make, give writing a go. And that's what I did.
0: No kidding. Well, and you talk about it so casually, like, you know, you know, I wrote a book and it's old. Uh, and i've
1: written two books and i know that that's a pain at least for me it was a painful experience <laughs> yeah it's there's no doubt i mean it's, it's if somebody had told me you know at the time how hard it was to get published I wouldn't even try right. I, I mean it was just lightning struck for me and uh, I was very lucky I mean I got my share of rejections obviously um but I was extremely lucky
0: well and i, I, I what's so interesting to me is and i want to tap into this but because your your first book uh, one, one rough man it uh, I think in many ways became an instant success. But before I get there, your, your background in a warfare and yet you, which kind of gives us image uh, for many was some, I'm, I'm going to say some of like Rambo, like, okay, you're Rambo. Now, wait a second, you're writing. Why did you choose that? And I think you kind of answered that already, but I want to make this clear to our audience is you, you chose to write as opposed to becoming, you know, retiring out and doing what many do, you know, becoming a GRS, you know, or some form of contractor.
1: Well, I did that. I mean, I'm still a contractor because, uh, you know, writing doesn't pay the bills. If they when they purchase your book, it's still got to get published and people have to buy it. And you have to wait two years for any kind of royalties to, to see anything. My kids still needed shoes and things like that. So, I mean, when I retired, I've, I've worked for everybody. You name it, I've been there.
0: Well, and I think that's important for audience to know, too, is you did whatever it took after transition to, to keep food on the table,
1: right? Yeah, definitely. And I had, you know, I have a unique skill set. So it was, uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, opportunities for me, and I, that, which was good for me because I didn't have to take, uh, you know, we're looking for a guy to go back to Balada Iraq. I didn't have to take that job. There's other jobs that they, with my skill set, that I could remain in the United States, main conus, and I didn't have to deploy for, you know, eight months or something.
0: Yeah. Oh, which is so awesome. Especially when you like, I'm a dad of two daughters and anytime I have to travel, I hate it. Uh, I love being home and, and I get, I get why you make that choice. So let's talk about this first book. I mean, I, I love how you frame that. You know, I wrote it, did a number of revisions, sold it, you know, it sold, but one rough man became an instant success. So kind of how, how did that happen for you? How did you, what was the secret to becoming a, you know, a selling writer?
1: Uh, I honestly don't know. I I, I would like say that I, I'm the best-selling copycat because I've been a voracious reader my entire life. Um, I've always been a reader. I was a kid under the covers, and mom said, turn out the flashlight. Uh, I read nonfiction fiction, you name it, and, and not in any, any specific genre. I've read every genre. Um, and so that was my instruction. I've never had any writing instruction. I don't have a degree in writing or anything like that. And so I wrote what I thought I would want to read is basically what I did me personally. And I actually set out to write a story of redemption. I didn't, uh, set out to write a military thriller or a special forces guy or things like that. I wanted to write a story of redemption, kind of the Rocky theme, which is what run up one rough man is. Um, but everything you see on Google is, you know, write what you know, write what you know. And so Pike Logan Taming became a uh, counterterrorist commando because I was a special forces guy. But, uh, if I, you know, if I'd have been a police officer, Pike would have been a cop. If I'd have been a priest, Pike would have been wearing a collar. It was, I was writing what I knew, but it didn't affect the theme of what I was trying to get out. Well, and I think
0: what's interesting about your books too, um, is it's so rich with detail. And I think that's part of the, the part of that magic is the fact that you you travel to the places that you write about. Correct.
1: Yeah, I do. If I definitely if I can get boots on the ground, I'll definitely do that. Uh, that's not to say Daughter of War came out last year and there's a segment in there from North Korea. I didn't go to North Korea. I'm not stupid. Uh, there's. Other books, uh, Enemy of Mine, I had actually, my uh, college roommate was a defense attache inside the embassy in Syria. I had a visa to go into Syria, and before I could get there, the car bombs started going off. We closed the embassies and left, so I never made it into Syria, but, you know, I've been in enough Middle Eastern countries, I figured I could fake the funk on that. But if I can get there, I definitely will. And for like Hunter Killer, the book that's coming out in January, I went all over Brazil, every, that huge country. went from the Amazon town to Rio, up to Salvador, over to Manaus, everywhere how do you balance all this?
0: I mean, you've got, you know, consulting, you're writing, you're being a husband, you're being a dad. You know, we talk about building margin into our life. Uh, it, it sounds like you've found your identity. Like, okay, you, you understand your mission purpose. You understand your identity. Your identity is, is probably a number of different things, but how do you find that balance with all this going on?
1: It's, it's easier now. I'll tell you, because, uh, I have one daughter just graduated college and ones about to graduate high school. So they're kind of self-sufficient, but it was a lot harder earlier um, when the first book came out because they were still kids and they still, uh, I mean, my older daughter or my younger daughter was born two days before, she was born right after 9-11, two days before I deployed. And so I was constantly gone um, for, you know, all the way up until 2010, gone, coming, going, coming and going, coming and going. And in fact, I, I got down to the Citadel and, and uh, put my uniform on as the first time I could take her to school. Hey, this is going to be great. I just drive her to school. I'm spend some time with my kids, and uh, I came downstairs, and she said, "Why are you wearing that costume?" <laughs> I mean, she, she'd never even seen me in uniform, is that right? Yeah, so uh, I was like, you know, Dad's in the <laughs> army, right? That is the costume. Yes,
0: the costume that uh, I will always be wearing in some way, shape, or form. That's so funny. Yeah, exactly. that is so funny. What I, it, you know. Many of our guests that we have on the show and certainly our audience, they, they oftentimes share that they struggle through, you know, this transition period of going from, you know, my idea in the military of who I am. Uh, and, and it sounds like in many ways, when you made that transition, you,
1: you know, you jumped right into, you know, the Citadel. Well, I, di- I didn't, I didn't jump into the Citadel as a transition. That, that was just a break. I was fully planning on going back. Uh, and, you know, the. I was lucky with the book sold. And and I was also very lucky. I was a member of a very, 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 very tight knit organization. Um, And those guys are uh, always talking back and forth and everything like that. And so when I did retire, I got immediate job offers from people I knew very, very well. Uh, In fact, I still do uh, security consulting for another group. Uh, And my boss is my old sergeant major. So (laughs) he was my sergeant major. Now he's my boss. But it's because uh, I, you know, I know those people, they know me, they know my skill sets. And so I was much luckier than other people I know that got out. I have a lot of friends because, you know, we all joined the army together. Now we're all re- kind of retired at the same time and, uh, they really are struggling. You know, what am I going to do now? What am I do here? Uh, and they, it's a shock to lose. I think the biggest shock is to lose a sense of purpose, the sense of uh, mission of what, what you're doing. Cause you're not doing it for the money. You're not doing it for, uh, uh, You know, any kind of pride or, you know, it's not so somebody can say thank you for your service. You're doing it because you enjoy the mission of uh, helping the National Command Authority with, you know, strategic issues around the world. And then they get out and they're like, they've got a good skill set for managerial skills, but they're looking at working for GE or something like that. It's just kind of a shock to them. You know, this is not, I don't Now I'm just doing it for money, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, talk to me a little bit about your
0: difference, because you described that a little bit, but it was... You found that some of your guys are struggling.
1: Why is that? Are they are they not part of the same tribe? Are they outside of the tribe? Are they or Yeah, they're not part of they were not part of my tribe because I mean I went on a special path because you join the army, you know, with a whole slew of people and then you all go your separate ways and you keep in touch. You see them once in a while. You run into them in a lot or you know, something like that and talk and have lunch and keep in touch with them. But they're doing a completely separate career path than me. They may be transportation corps or, you know, something like that, logistics, military intelligence, whatever it is. They're out there doing something completely different for me. Yeah. So
0: I think that speaks to the importance of having a tribe as you get ready to transition, having some sort of network that you can turn to, because that is really going to help you sustain and navigate that transition piece. And I think that's I, that's a common theme that we hear. And I think it's so important that our audience pick that up, is it's important to find a tribe that can help support you as you go through you know, transition. I think that's, that's critical.
1: Especially because you, you, you tend to, uh, even for me, just because I was retiring out of the Citadel, uh, if I'd retired as as you call it, if I'd retired where my tribe was, it would have been a heck of a lot easier to retire. Uh, but I'm doing it out of the Citadel, which means there is no. I have no support group here. I'm driving to Fort Jackson, two hours away, to make all my appointments and things like that. Yeah. And uh, I really wished I had somebody I could have talked to because I, I made a lot of mistakes.
0: Yeah. Well, I and I totally get that. So I want to go. I want to talk to to you about your upcoming book, which I love, by the way. So uh, hunter killer, great book. So Pike Logan, uh, I, I don't want to give any of the book away. Uh, I'll leave that to you to do. Um, cause you have a pretty interesting opening scene within the first couple chapters. What attributes does Pike have that you believe are pretty common in, in most who serve in uniform? Are there some likenesses?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. I think I, I, Probably already stole the thunder there. It's exactly what I was talking about. Yeah. Pike believes in the mission. Pike believes in uh, what he's doing. He's not doing it because, uh, you know, for any monetary gain, he's doing it because he believes exclusively in what he's doing. And actually, one rough man kind of dealt with that. He he had, he was broken, uh, lost his moral compass and, and felt like he'd been kind of betrayed by, he believed in this, what he considered a myth of the greatness of America all this time. And then it was uh, taken from him and it's his redemption story He's getting back on track with that. And that's kind of with this, you know, it's now the 14th book and he's, he's now back to where he was. That's
0: so amazing to me. And and Brad, when, when you,
1: because I, I know
0: in, in like the press write-up, you talk about Pike and you talk about how it's kind of a culmination of, of many attributes of, of people who serve. Do you find that people fall flat on their face after transition? Your experience, people that you know, is that is there, uh, is there a sense of betrayal when they get out? And then uh, a, a moment of redemption or a, a moment of rebirth? What are you seeing in your sphere? You mean in the real world? Yeah, in the
1: real world. Uh, yeah,
0: not just in the book. And we'll get to the book. But...
1: Yeah, because what, what happens is what happens with Pike in the book has nothing to do with transitioning from the military. It's pretty horrific. <laughs> um, yeah, I've, I've seen the whole uh, gamut of it, to be honest with you. Uh, I've seen, and there's a lot of guys, I think that's why a lot of the guys uh, and gals uh, start transitioning to um, uh, non-governmental organizations and charities and things like that, Special Operations Warrior Foundation. And I know if you look at, there's a shared sense of purpose there. You're, you're now giving back to the community they gave you so much when you served. And I know uh, quite a few people on the board of uh, Special Operations Warrior Foundation, and they all had a job getting out of the military, and they were not satisfied with that job and he went looking for something else
0: yeah something with greater meaning something with something with deeper purpose right yeah so let's switch your book hunter hunter killer is gripping i'm loving this thing i'm loving the book i'm not fully i'm, I'm not i'm not all the way through it so you don't give away the ending which i know you won't do anyway because <laughs> you need people to buy it but <laughs> share with our you know share with our listeners what they'll get from this adventure because this book is gripping. I will just put it out there. It's gripping. It's a page turner. I love this book. Um, and then I'll follow it up with another question. Uh, but I, I, I want you to share with our listeners, kind of frame what hunter killer is about and what they'll get from it.
1: Sure. Yeah. I actually, I wrote uh, daughter of war, my last book. And in there, there was a, uh, kind of a tangential protagonist, uh, or antagonist, I should say that, um, was uh, the Wagner Group, which is a private military company that's run by Russia. And they're all over the place. They're in Libya right now. They're in Central African Republic. They're all over Syria. Um, and so I, I'd use them in that book. And, I, and because I do news feeds, I'd still keep up on what's going on in the world because I still have to do some consulting. I saw a story about uh, the Wagner Group was now in Venezuela, helping out the dictator down there when he was having all the troubles. And that interested me. So I started looking at the region and I stumbled across Brazil was having their elections at the time, which was an absolute circus. I mean, it was just crazy. The uh, leading guy, the leading candidate for presidency was actually in jail for corruption. Uh, His name's Lulu. They they found the the largest oil fields, uh, offshore oil fields in the 20th century. It's named after him, the Lulu oil fields. And uh, they had uh, um, a lot of people competing for the oil interest. And One of Russia's big things is uh, the, uh, they call it the near abroad. They're mad at us because we're in their near abroad with NATO encroachment, things like that. And so they've been talking about getting into our near abroad. So they're trying to get these military-to-military liaison stuff going on in South America and Central America. And I thought that'd be an interesting story to see what this private military company, the Wagner Group, would go down to uh, Brazil and see if they could get control of those oil fields. And that kind of sparked the entire threat of it. Mm, So I, with it, I,
0: I, and I love it. I love it because it's so close. I I don't want to say it's so close to reality because I don't know that it is actually reality, but it seems like it could be very real. Let's put it that way. And so that's a follow-on to my, my follow-on question is, should we really be concerned about Russia? We see it all the time in the news right now. We see the stuff that happens in Ukraine. We see the, you know, the Russian
1: interference. Um, Yeah, we should definitely be concerned about them. They're, uh, they're a definite threat. And, uh, They use disinformation, now there's a term for, term of art is hybrid warfare, uh, which is what they did in Ukraine. So they made it look like a popular uprising when in fact they infiltrated a bunch of Wagner private military company guys, which you can Google little green men Crimea and you'll get all kinds of stories about these guys running around with uniforms claiming to be from Crimea. And then once they seize it all, two months later, you know, Putin says, yeah, that was us all along. We got it, see you later. Uh, And they're running all over the place. Uh, Right now they're in Libya. helping a warlord take over Tripoli, and we're back in the Tripoli government. And uh, Turkey, believe it or not, is saying they're going to go into Tripoli to fight the Russians. <laughs> so those guys are all over, and it gives them plausible deniability. No kidding. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that happens in my novel that, you know, you'd read and say, that's kind of fantastic. And it's none of it's, you know, I've, it's not true. It's fiction. But then again, you know, if I had somebody in the book that got killed by nerve agent in London, You'd say that's impossible. Well, guess what? Russian killed a guy in London with nerve agent. Yeah, so, yeah. So it's it's all pretty plausible. This is so
0: amazing to me. I mean, it's so hard to know what is real. I mean, this blend between fiction and nonfiction uh, in books today, especially from those who have served that become writers. Uh, you know, we had Sean Parnell. You know, Tenth Mountain. He he was on um, as well, and his his stories, like yours, are not only gripping, but they seem like you know what maybe, maybe we don't have the full picture here. And that's when I was reading your book, when I'm reading hunter killer, uh, I, in the back of my mind, Brad, that's what I'm thinking. Like, you know what? Maybe Brad knows more than what's really being presented.
1: <laughs> so. Well, it's a, it's, it takes a lot of research. I'll tell you that there's a ton. Of, and a lot of it, you try to, I write about current events, obviously try to be as current as you can, but that's the problem with current events is they're current. And if something goes wrong, uh, on the real world stage, then uh, from a strategic level to a tactical level, it could screw your book up. And I'll give you an example. I wrote uh, Enemy of Mine, and there's a guy named Al-Asiri in Yemen, and he's a master bomb builder. Uh, he built the underwear bomb from a while back. He built the printer bombs. Uh, he built the bomb that the guy had up his butt to try to assassinate the Saudi in Saudi Arabia. So he's a really good bomb maker. And so I had him. I needed a bomb maker. And I said, I'll use him. And so uh, I put him in the book, real name. Here's what he's doing. And then we killed him in a drone strike. Oh no, kidding! And I was like, yeah. Oh, man. so I took him out of the book. Well, then after the book gets published, he pops up on a video. He's not oh. dead. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how do you know, right? Yeah, I, I guess yeah. It forces you to be creative all the time, which is uh, you, yeah, you got to adapt and overcome. That. That's, so how do people get this book? Because it's coming out in January. Uh, excited that this book is coming out. I think people are going to get a ton from it. So how do they get? How do they follow you, Brad? Number one, you've got many books that they can just lean into
1: yeah you can go uh they can get the book when it comes out in january it'll be everywhere at uh every uh you know barnes and noble amazon wherever books are sold you can get it uh but if you want to read an excerpt the uh they go to my website at brad there's excerpts of all my books and descriptions of all the books and i've got a blog on there too that I, i blog about national security affairs um but that's – now I'll have links to all the books themselves. I'll have my links to my Twitter, links to Facebook and all of that.
0: Got it. Okay, bradtaylor.com. That's great. Brad, thank you for being on the show. Uh, such an honor to have on the show. And uh, thanks for kind of pulling us up to speed on not only your books, but certainly some of the current affairs that are going on too. So, I appreciate really, really so that.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah,
0: absolutely. For those of you that are interested in figuring out who you are after that uniform comes off, discovering your post-service identity, prepare, plan, execute on your best year ever after transition, check us out at OperationMilitaryFamily.com or DM me on LinkedIn. Again, Brad, thanks for being on the show.
1: Thank you.